We're here just for, hope you feel welcome, glad you came. Um, we've, we've transitioned this morning as a church into two services on Sunday morning as, as we're growing, and it's a good, good, exciting thing that's going on right now. And so we had a, a packed service at nine, as he said, and, and now we're excited to see this one packed as well. And, and going forward, this will be our service times on Sunday morning. So we'll be having a nine and an 11 o'clock service so that we can continue to grow. And um, we're, we're excited because um, we want to see people have hope. You know, we were at a park yesterday over at North Lakes, giving out hot dogs and chips and drinks and just showing people that we're real. How many know people need to know that we're real? Um, that we're, we have the same problems that they do. We just have a solution maker in Jesus. Amen. How many have had some solutions taken care of because of the Lord? What I want to pick up with the middle of this video was in Mark chapter 15, and he mentioned there that Something that I think is so amazing. We, we listen to the word or hear the word undefeated. And, you know, in sports, there's been very few. I even looked it up this week, and I've had this word in my spirit for, for quite a while now, several months before we even got close to Easter and made our plans. This, this word came in, and, and, and a lot of times that'll, that's what will happen when I'm preparing for a message. I don't know what I'm going to preach about, but if God will just give me the title, that helps. And so I got the word undefeated in my spirit a long time ago, and, and I began to pray about it. And I, I think it thought about teams. You know, very few teams have gone undefeated. There's a few boxers who in their career went undefeated and never lost a, a match. But the thing I began to think about was uh, if those teams that went undefeated continued to play, they would eventually lose a game. A boxer, if he continued to box, there would become an age, and I'm very familiar with this myself, you get to an age where you no longer can do what you used to be able to do. And uh, I still play basketball a lot at 44, and uh, I have my days, amen, where I feel like I'm 24. And uh, that's the days that I talk a little bit more on the court than I do when I'm 44. And uh, if I have a good day, I'll tell those guys, you didn't want me when I was 24. But when it's a day where I'm not doing so well, Father Time is speaking to me. And there's times when I'm, I'm running... In my, in my mind and in my body, I'm standing still. And, and so you begin to think about that, and, and, and athletes and boxers and, and people get to a time where they have to retire at a young age, because not because they're not old enough to play the sport anymore, but they're too old to do it at the high level that they used to. And so even a boxer that was undefeated, if he kept boxing, he would eventually lose. And so I began to think about the word undefeated, and there's really only one person in the history of the world who's never lost. And his name is Jesus. He's never lost. Amen. He's never lost. Never lost a battle. Never lost a war. But when we think about that, when we think of the word undefeated, we look at a person and we say, man, wow, they're amazing. They got it together. Uh, they, they, they're, they're, un, they're unbeatable. They're invincible. Uh, there, there's no way that they can lose. And, and we kind of put them up there like that. And I began to think about Jesus, even himself. When you think about Jesus, we know today we have the history books. We have the Bible in front of us. And we know that today, even if you've never been in church before, or you're new to learning the things of the Word of God or, 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 the, or the Lord, uh, you, you know that today is Easter. And we know that a lot of people are celebrating Easter with Easter, Easter eggs and bunnies. Um, but Easter is the, is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And so we know the end result and we know that he won, but we can look at that and hear that and say, wow, but not really know that there was a time and a moment when Jesus felt like giving up. You might be in here this morning, maybe right now, maybe today, maybe yesterday, maybe last week, maybe five seconds ago, you got to a place in your life where you feel like, man, I, where's God at? Where's God at in my life? And I believe if, if, if I was to ask you to raise your hand and you were honest this morning, everybody in here would say at some point, I've said, man, I, where's God? When is God going to show up in my life? When is God going to do the miracle in, in my life that he did in somebody else's? One of the exciting things about being in a church that's growing and seeing testimonies, as you heard John share his, where, where he was raised in church, but all of a sudden in the last few years, he's really gotten a relationship with the Lord and learned that he's real. One of the things that can happen is, is people can give testimonies and say, man, this is, uh, this is what God did for me, and God saved my marriage. God, God gave me a financial miracle. God did this. And then somebody on the other side of the room can be going, well, God, when are you going to do that for me? When are you going to show up in my world? When are you going to show up in my finances? And, and we can get to a place where we think, God, where are you? And the thing, one of the things that I love about the Bible so much is how relatable it is, how real it is. How many are thankful today that God is a real God and he understands real problems. Real problems. And so I want to pick up here and show you this, if you would, in Mark chapter 15, 33. This is a moment the Bible mentions here. It says, when the sixth hour came, there's an interesting word here. It says, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. You know, how many have ever been in a dark moment? Jesus is at his darkest moment. And it says, at the ninth hour, he cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sabathini. Which means, my God, watch this, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now think about this. This is God. This is God in the flesh. And we sometimes think, man, God can't relate to me. God doesn't know what I'm going through. God doesn't understand my problem. And, and you think, man, I'm at the lowest of the low in my life. And here we see the Savior of the world, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords in a fleshly body on the cross... He's been brutally beaten. His beard's been torn from his face. He's been hit. He's been mocked. He's been spit on. A crown of thorns has been placed on his head. And now they've made him drag his own cross to, the, to, the, to Golgotha, the, the place of the skull. And they make him carry it there. And then they pierce him to the cross through his hands and his feet. And you'd think all that was bad enough. You'd think, man, he's, he's hit the lowest now. Here's the crazy thing. He hadn't hit his lowest point yet. You might be here and say, man, I'm at the lowest of the low. And, and, and you think, I can't go any lower. Man, Jesus had to have thought he was at the lowest. And then all of a sudden he realizes as he looks up to his father that his father is turning his head away. His father's presence has left him. And he says these words, Father, why have you forsaken me? So if you've ever said that this morning, church, if you've ever th thought, man, God, where are you? Don't feel bad. Because Jesus said the same thing. And Jesus showed us his humanity as, G as God could no longer look at my sin and your sin and the sins of the world and the sins that are coming and the sins that have been passed. All the sins that ever happened in humanity, he could no longer look at them. He turned his head away. And for that brief moment, can you imagine if it wasn't enough to do all the stuff he just went through on the cross, can you imagine feeling inside that the plan had changed? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but many people are afraid of death. 
Many people fear death. And one of the reasons is it's the unknown. The what ifs. What if Jesus got to that point in his life? And now we know he's God, but he's, he's in man's body. Man's emotions. Man's fears. We know he's having real feelings because we go back to the garden and we see as he's in the garden of Eden. Or not the garden of Eden. He was there too. Amen. In the garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's praying and he says, Father, if we can change this and do this a different way, Let's change this. He shows his humanity. He shows his fear. We look at Jesus sometimes as we look at a boxer or an athlete that's invincible and think, man, they're not afraid of nothing. Let me tell you something. Every boxer, whoever goes out to fight, they're scared to death before they get out to that ring. But when they get to the ring, they put on a, a boxing face. Amen? Any athlete that's ever played in a game, anybody who's ever done anything on a big stage is scared. They have butterflies. And, they, and, and Jesus had butterflies. He was showing his humanity. And he's getting to that place, and he says, God, if we can change this, let's change this. And now, he, he, he gets to the cross, and he's gone through everything. Now he's at his darkest moment. He's about to die. He's about to breathe his last breath. And he says, God, where are you? And so this morning, you might be in that place. And we know there's a world full of people that are in that place this morning. And I want to show you something. As we continue to read, it says that someone now, if that's not bad enough that God has turned his back on him, it says some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And so someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. How many have ever been thirsty and had somebody give you something nasty to drink? Amen. All you want is some clean, clear water. Amen. And they give him a sponge of vinegar and, and put it on a reed and gave it to, to him to drink and said, let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. How many have ever been in a bad moment in your life and somebody comes and kicks you down while you're down? Jesus is at the lowest of the lows and they're mocking him. They're giving him stuff to drink. They're, they're making fun of him. Let's see if Elijah is going to come save him. And, and watch this, and at the same time, God has left him. He has no feeling of the presence of God. Now, Sometimes we think, man, how can I relate to Jesus? Get this. Even right now, as you might feel, maybe last week, last month, this morning, five minutes ago, some point in your life, God, where have you gone? Even as you felt that, it was not a true feeling because God is on the earth. His presence is here. And what happens is your feelings get involved. I preached a message one time called fickle feelings. Your feelings will get you. We cannot live by feelings. But these were not feelings God was Jesus was having. At this moment, he literally did not have the presence of God in his life. He literally turned his back on him. And so we can't even relate to that. He's at a place that no man has ever gone to. And that's one thing that's important. To do something nobody's ever done, you have to go someplace no one's ever gone. Come on, somebody. We're talking about Jesus this morning, amen, and what he did to make us uh, have victory. So as all this is going on, then, then they, he, he's, he makes a loud cry and breathed his last breath. So he's been on trial. He's been brutally beat. He's had to carry his own cross. He's had spikes driven through his hands and feet, and then darkness comes on his life. Now I want you to go to Psalms 22, if you have your Bible, please. And in the first service, I didn't have him go there. And that's one good thing about having another service. I can, I can make sure, make, fix a mistake. Go to Psalms 22 because powerful, powerful chapter and book here. And, and I want you to know that as you're getting there that this book here was, re was written about 3,000 years ago. 1,000 1, years before uh, Jesus came on the scene and, and, and became God in the flesh. So this is an old book. 
Some people would say it's outdated, and I'll tell you it's more, more relevant than the news that's going to be on tonight at 6 p.m. It's more relevant than anything that ever, it's, it's alive. It's alive. I, it's, it's, I just had, uh, I've had people tell me, and I've had this happen to me, man, I've never heard that before. I've, never, I've been saved a long time. I've never heard that. How many know if you keep studying the Word, you're going to find stuff you've never saw before? Because this Word is living and alive. And in Psalms 22, we see the Word that we just read in Mark chapter 15. We read in Psalms 22, verse 1, that God said, David said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalms 22.1. Do you see it there? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David is literally speaking the words of Jesus Christ 1,000 years before Jesus speaks them on the cross. He is, he is being spoken through as an oracle of God. And he, in Psalms 22, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to read a few things there. Just a couple verses. If you look just quickly with your eyes at 6, he says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. Verse 8, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. They're mocking him. We're reading these words of Jesus. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. The Bible says that his bones were out of joint, but his bones were never broken. Amen. Amen. Prophetically, his bones were never broken. Let me just give a quick teaching there, a 30-second teaching. This is, the, this is prophetic. When the two thieves were on the cross, we know the Bible says that, that time was getting short and they didn't want to leave them there on the Sabbath. And so the, the soldiers came over, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ or a movie, and they're going to, to go speed up the process. And I, and I didn't have this in my first message, but I feel led to say this. And as, they're, as Jesus is trying to, the way they stay alive is Jesus is trying to breathe. He has to push himself up. With his, with his feet and his arms to try to get a breath. Everybody just take a breath right where you're at. Just breathe in and breathe out. Now just imagine doing that with your hands above your head for hours and trying to get your chest cavity above your mouth so you can take a breath. So you'd have to push himself up. And so to speed up the process for them to die quicker, they had to come and break their legs so that they, they could no longer push themselves up and they would die faster. They got to both the other thieves. They broke their legs. And then the reason they pierced him in his side, not only was it prophetic, but they got to Jesus and they saw that he was already dead. Because I want to make a statement to you this morning. Nobody killed Jesus. Nobody killed Jesus. Jesus gave his life. Amen. We look at it and say, oh, they were so mean to him. No, he said, I lay my life down for, for, as a ransom for many. Amen. And so they put that thing in his side and, and pierced him, and he was already dead. So that's why they didn't break his bones, because the Bible said he wouldn't a thousand years before. Amen. Just pretty cool little note there. Fifteen, my tongue clings to my jaws. Sixteen, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look at st and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And my clothing they cast for lots. So we see in the book of Psalms these powerful words talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ 1,000 years before. I'd love to see one of you tell me tomorrow what's going to happen. Besides telling me the sun's going to come up and the sun's going to go down, which we're not even promised of that. Amen. 
But you know what? We can't predict tomorrow. Yet David predicts something a thousand years before it happens. And then and Jesus comes along and fulfills it. Church, we're looking at a Bible that's alive and real this morning. Amen? And we're looking at a Savior that is undefeated this morning. Can you say amen? Undefeated. Amen? In his word and in everything he does, he cannot lose. Now I want to continue to read. Luke 23, 35. You don't have to go there. It says this. They're mocking him. He saved others. Let him save himself. He's the chief, he's the Christ of God, he's the chosen one. If he saved others, let him save himself. I want to make a statement to you that I make to myself. I'm thankful that you were not Jesus. You should be thankful that I was not Jesus. We need to be thankful that only Jesus was Jesus. Because if anybody else would have been on that cross, church, we would not have salvation today. We would all be on a path of destruction with no hope. You know why? Because as we were standing on that cross, I don't know if I have anybody else in here like this, and they began to mock me and tell me, hey, you've saved others, save yourself. I'll be clenching my fist on the cross. I'd be thinking about which lightning bolt I want to hit with what person. Come on, somebody, be real. Oh, come on, what do you mean, pastor? Yeah, real. Be real. Be real. We'd all came off the cross. When they began to mock us, we'd all, oh, you want to see me? You want to see power? I'm going to go Bruce Almighty on you right now. Amen? I'm about to tear up everything in your house. But he didn't. Because he had to fulfill the call. He had to go all the way to the finish line so that we could have salvation. But they keep mocking him. And so we think sometimes, man, how do I relate to God? How can't you relate to God? God is so relatable. He's been through what you've been through. And as a matter of fact, you might think this morning, man, there ain't nothing. Man, no one knows what I'm going through. Jesus knows beyond Because he had the power to come off that cross. He had the power to stop everything and say, look, I can't do this. i got to manifest my power right now. Remember, he was a human. Are you all with me this morning? Those same emotions of fear and doubt that he had, they would also translate to pride if he wasn't careful. He'd say, man, I'll show you. You saved others, you saved yourself. I'm going to show you right now. But he didn't. He stayed on that cross and got to the lowest place of the lowest place in his life. And as they're mocking him, he says, you know what? I have to finish this so I can be the only person in the history of the world to say I've never lost a battle. Amen. Church, today is a celebration. This is a party. Amen. I don't know if you noticed, if you maybe got busy. I, 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 chose, I chose a song called Undefeated for the, for the meet and greet and the, and the, and the offering because I wanted that word to be in your head. I want you to begin to start from this moment on. I've, I've talked about the despair. I've talked about where Jesus was at to get to the place of being undefeated. But I want you to begin to think this morning that you have a Savior who is more powerful than the problem that you're going through right now. You have a Savior that is bigger than the situation you're facing right now I don't care what the world's told you I don't care what the doctors told you I don't care what the psychologist has told you I don't care what the financial books tell you Jesus is bigger than all of the problems that you're facing this morning and if you'll put your faith in him he will give you victory I'll go to Matthew chapter 27 if you would as you're getting there just tell the person next to you he's talking to you right now Matthew 27. Give me an amen when you get there. So all the Gospels work together. They all coincide. Some people say, 
well, how come this gospel doesn't say this and another gospel says another thing? It's a puzzle. Another amazing thing about the Bible is if you've ever done a puzzle, and if you've never done it, how many have ever done a puzzle? Let me just see your hands. I just want to make sure there's not anybody, no, any poor person in this place that's never done a puzzle. If you haven't never done a puzzle, we're going to have puzzles next week or something because <laughs> you didn't have a childhood, amen? You have to have done a puzzle, at least 10 pieces, amen? But when you do a puzzle, you put that thing together and then you start getting a little bold and thinking, man, I'm pretty good at puzzles. And you go by the 100 piece. And then you say, I can do 250. And then you get to the five. And then if, how many have ever done a thousand piece? Then when you get to the thousand piece, that's when you get really good. And you get really frustrated. You pour that thing out on the table and you see about 50 to 100 of the same color. Those are the ones that make you quit, right? But when you begin to put that piece of puzzle together, it all comes together. And when you're done, it looks like the box, hopefully. Amen. Some people don't finish. But the Bible's the same way. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and they're all working together. And so we started off in Mark. Now we're in Matthew. We took Psalms, and we brought that in. And you're starting to see a puzzle. Was it last year or two years ago that I preached, I think, on Easter about the piece of the puzzle? Anybody remember? Two years ago. Thank you for those that remembered. Amen. It's hard to remember. Amen. I sometimes don't remember what I preached two weeks ago. So the puzzle comes together and these things coincide. And so now we're looking in Matthew. And let's see what Matthew says about this. So he picked off in Mark where he was breathing his last breath. Now watch what 50 says. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And just stop right there for a second. He yielded up his spirit right there, right now is where we say, now what's going to happen? This is where Mary and the disciples and all the people that were around are saying, God, our son is dead. Our brother's dead. It's over. We've lost. What happens now? How many know that moment of despair can be scary? But I want you to know something. Right now, if you're going through a struggle over here and you're thinking, man, God's never going to fix my situation, I want you to know this morning that God is working over there. And as we see Jesus on the cross, arms extended, he breathes his last breath and he says, it is finished. The Bible says right here in the next verse that as he says that, the veil tears from top to bottom in the temple. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened. Church, the Bible says that when, those, when that veil tore, it was a four foot wide curtain. And when that veil tore, that something was happening. This is what's cool. He had not even come out of the grave yet. He had not even been placed in the grave yet. But he has this, he has this, his spirit go out of him. And at the moment where it looks like there's despair, somebody get this. You think, you're, you think nothing's happening right now. There's a cloud of dust around you. And all of a sudden you begin to realize God is working. So as Jesus is dying, the veil is tearing. As Jesus is dying, the veil is tearing. And that veil, so, so death is happening here and life is happening over here before he even gets to the grave. And then we read on that it says that the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The graves were opened and lots of people don't know this. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Do you, how many have got a grandparent has gone on has gone on to be with the Lord? How would you feel this morning if they showed up in Easter clothes? 
be freaky. Thank God we got two doors. We'd be shooting out the back one. Amen? That's what happened. These people all of a sudden saw their, their, their family members running through the streets shouting, He's alive! He's alive! Amen? He's alive! They're shouting Jesus before he ever even gets to the tomb. Oh, so y'all, some of y'all will get that tomorrow at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then... Then the centurion in verse 54 says, Those who were with him, those who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that happened, and they feared greatly. And watch this. At the cross, it's a place of decision. It's a crossroads. The cross is going to be a crossroads and a place of decision for every person who's ever lived. And it's okay that it got quiet there because that's a real fact. There will be two types of people when they die. There will be one person who has accepted the cross, and there will be another person who has rejected the cross. There's not, th- there's not a third person. There's those who accept and those who reject. At the cross is a place of decision. This centurion, who was a very strong man at the grave, at the, at the, sorry, at the cross, had, 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 had watched Jesus carry his, his cross there and had been there the whole time. He is watching this event take place And now, all of a sudden, he sees something happen, and he has a crossroads decision. And he says these words, I believe this truly was the Son of God. And he puts his faith in Jesus Christ and gets saved right there. Amen? Jesus is undefeated. Maybe your situation is like all these things that I'm saying this morning, there seems to be the hope. But when Jesus, and you think when Jesus got finished, it's over. But I want you to know that resurrection started with that veil. Luke 24, another gospel. They begin to go now a few days later to the grave. And, and, and the disciples begin to get there. And an angel says in Luke 24, why do you seek the living among the dead? A lot of us in here this morning, church, we, we, we a lot of times try to get answers for our life from dead people. We try to get counsel from people who are dead. Can you imagine uh, go, try, trying to go get advice from someone at the cemetery? Amen? You, you can't do that. They're dead. They're, they're gone. And G, this angel says, why are you at the tomb? See, what I want you to get you, get you to understand is something had already happened at the cross before it ever got to the tomb. And that was when the veil tore. Something happened. It was a crossroads. It was a decision point, And they said, I, I believe, see, this is what we have to say. I believe before he even got to the grave to be buried, he had already defeated death. Don't you think we have that kind of faith this morning? We haven't seen his physical body. We weren't at the grave. We didn't see the tomb rolled away, the stone rolled away. We didn't see anything. We are believing this morning by faith. But I'm going to get to in a moment that it does take faith, but there's also a lot of facts to Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. I want to go to Mark chapter 16, if you would. How many are still here? Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 16, verse 4. Let's read through this quickly. They, this, now, here's another, another gospel. Back to Mark. Next chapter where we start off in the beginning. And they get to the tomb, and it says, As they looked up, they saw, saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And verse 5 says, In entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed, in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. 
And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Can I say that again? Stop looking for answers among the dead people. the, The world is dead. You and I were dead. You might be here this morning and you might be dead. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're spiritually dead. Oh, They have shows called Dead Man Walking and we joke about it and laugh about it. There's the billions and billions of people walking around dead right now. They're physically alive but spiritually dead. You might be that person this morning. But we have to understand the Bible is telling us stop looking for life among dead people. The life is in the cross. The life is in the tomb. The life is in the empty tomb. Amen. The life is in Jesus who is again, say it with me, undefeated. He's never lost. Amen. He's never lost. Now, as I begin to close, I want you to think about something. This is the best news. The gospel means good news. And and I believe this morning that you are happier than your face shows me. Amen. Because if you could really, 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 really understand what we're talking about. Like if you could just get beyond the fact that I came to church today, check that off. It's Easter, I know I'm supposed to, got my, got my nice Sunday. If we could just get past that and get to the reality that we are serving a living God. If we could only see where we were headed. If we could only see what our life looked like before we met Jesus. If you're here this morning and you haven't met him yet, you know what you, if you could see what your life looked like, really, you'd be a lot happier than you think you are. Because there's one thing that's a fact this morning. We're going to breathe our last breath like Jesus did. And there's a lot of unknowns there. Everybody in the world has an opinion of what's going to happen when we breathe our last breath. Everybody thinks lots of different religions preach different things. <clears throat> lots of people say you got to do works. You got to believe in this. You got to pray that. You got to say this. You got to say that. And I just want to go to the man, the only man ever, to go beyond death and, 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 and tell me what's there. Why would I listen to, to, to a God that's dead? The, the, these other religions, these, and it's not like, oh, we're better. There, there's only one truth. There can only be one truth. And the truth is, Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me, which means he's the door. He's the only door. There's not two doors. There's not three doors. There's just one door, and it's Jesus. And he's undefeated. Now, here's what's awesome. If Jesus is undefeated, and I put my faith in Jesus, that means I get on Jesus' team. And if you're on Jesus' team, that means you're undefeated too. That means you're undefeated too. That means you cannot lose. You're undefeated. So why, so why are you letting your problems defeat you? So why do we walk with our heads down so much if we're, if we're living and serving an undefeated God? If we're undefeated. 
because we haven't had the revelation yet that these little problems we have are just temporary. They're just temporary. They're going to pass. It's going to get better. Romans 8.11 says, The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, watch this, dwells in you. The same Spirit. Get that. The same Spirit, the power that brought Jesus out of the grave and defeated death is in us. It's in us. There's no sickness. There's no problem. There's no financial issue. There's no marital problem. There's no world news that can defeat you this morning. We're undefeated. We're undefeated, church. Death is defeated. Sickness is defeated. Hopelessness is defeated. Pain is defeated. Anger is defeated. Suicide is defeated. Depression is defeated. Everything you can possibly be facing is defeated because Jesus rose from the dead. That grave is empty, church. They've never been able to find that, that body. Come on, somebody. They've never been able to find that body. They're never going to find that body because that body's up in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me right now, saying, get on my team. Get on my team. Come get on my team. I've already won the one fight. I've already defeated death. Why would you want to stay on the loser's side when you can be on the winner's side? Undefeated. There's a man named Simon Greenleaf, co-founder of Harvard University in the 1800s. And he was an atheist, like many people are. Although there really are no atheists, according to the Bible. The Bible is a little meaner than I am. The Bible has a name for atheists. If you're here and you're one, the Bible said it. The Bible says the name for an atheist is a fool. Because the Bible says only a fool says in his heart there is no God. So I'm just quoting the Bible. Don't hate me. But that's, that's what Simon Greenleaf was. He was an atheist. Didn't believe in God. And so he had his, his students there at, at, the, at the Harvard Law School. And he said, I want to I prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead. This is farce. This is a fake. This is a lie. And he put his students to start putting together a case so a lot of parallels with this in the book written called Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, who different time, different era, same idea. But he began, Simon Greenleaf began to have this class put together, and they did an entire case as in court and brought all the evidence in to see if they could disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as they began to bring the proof in, Simon Greenleaf, an atheist, converted to Jesus Christ. He, he was at the cross of, of the decision. And he said in his own words, and you can Google this if you don't believe me, he said in his own words there, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ after taking it through trial is the most verifiable event in human history. A lot of times we think we're stupid for believing in Jesus. The world makes us feel like we're dumb because we believe in something we can't see. Yet the co-founder of Harvard University gave his life to Jesus and said, that's the most very, so I already believed. That's just an addition to what I believed. And now it just strengthens my faith. You know, Jesus made an awesome statement when his disciples came and Thomas, I, I, I'm, I don't want to ever be a Thomas. All the disciples had touched him after he had resurrected from the dead. 
or seen him. And Thomas said, unless I touch him, unless I touch him, see him with my own eyes, I won't believe. And so he went and he touched his scar in his hand. He touched the scar on his side. And he said, now I believe. And Jesus said these words. He said, Thomas, blessed are they. He says, you've seen me. You've touched me. You know I'm real. He says, blessed are those. And you're those. And I'm those. He said, blessed are those who've never seen me and believe in me. That's me. I've never seen them. But 25 years ago, he changed my life. I've never touched him, but he touched me. And he changed my life. And 25 years ago, I got on the winning team. And now I'm undefeated. And there's no battle that I can lose. Because he's already written out my future. And my future's bright. And your future's bright. I want you to go to John 20, if you would, and I want to read you one more thing. Just to, this is just a little bit of encouragement. Because I want you to know something. Sometimes you think, man, what is, does God know me? Does God know about me? Does God know what I'm going through? Does God know my struggles? Does God know what I'm thinking? The Bible says in Psalms, he knows how many hairs are on your head. Easier for me. Amen. But it wasn't always this way. <laughs> but he knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything about you. And one of the other things I love about the Bible is his attention to detail. In the Jewish custom, we're going to read here in just a second. In the Jewish custom, how many like to eat, by the way? Anybody got any plans for eating today? Amen. This might be also another one of those days where eat. Easter dinner. Amen. So in the Jewish custom, they'd be eating and they would take their napkin and if they, were, if they were done, they were full, they would throw their napkin down, they would you know, put it like that and, and put it in a way where it was crumpled up and walk away from the table. Then they'd know they could come get their plate and they could change it out and they were done. But I want you to read right here in John 20, verse 3, something really powerful. Peter went out and the other disciple that were going to the tomb and they ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter. How many like competition? Anybody comp competitive in here? There's your, there's your proof you can be competitive. Okay? Because John and Peter were ran, ran, running, and it says, and, and, and came, Peter, well, the disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first, and he, stooping down, watch this, looked in and saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. Verse 6, and Simon Peter followed him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen clothes but folded together in a place by itself so Jesus when he resurrected left us a little note when they would eat at that Jewish table and they were done they would crumple that thing up and throw it on the table and walk away but if they were going to come back to the table they would grab their napkin they would fold it up real nice, real neat, and they would lay it there real, real good so that the person knew that they weren't done and that they were coming back. Jesus, in all his busyness of resurrecting from the dead and having to get busy going on to his next step, says, hold on, time out. Wait, let me do something real cool. Let me grab my handkerchief here that's around my head. Let me fold it up, and let me leave it in the grave so that when they find it, 
they'll know not only have I defeated death, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Amen. I'm coming back. Jesus is coming back. Amen. He's coming back for us. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, he's coming back. We don't talk enough about him coming back, do we? The Bible says he can come back right now. He's coming back, the Bible says, for a church that's looking for him. A church without spot or wrinkle. A church that loves him. A church that, that desires him. He rose from the dead, went to the, head, to the Father. He's ascended there, and he's sitting on the right hand interceding, and the Bible says he's going to come back again. He left that there right in John 20 on purpose called the folded napkin. And Jewish history tells us he is coming back again. He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am, you may be also. That's the promise. That's the hope. Who else can promise that this morning? Nobody. Why? Because nobody else has been to the other side and come back. He went to the side of death and he came back. He went to hell and took the keys and brought it back. He said, I got the keys now. The devil doesn't have it anymore. That's why we can say death could not hold him. We have the keys. He says, I have the keys in Revelation 20. I have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. I got him. Why? Because he's undefeated. And this morning, you and I can be undefeated, but we have to give Jesus our life. How many all over this place, from front to back and side to side? Listen, I'm not asking you right now. Listen closely. I'm not asking you, do you have a church? I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you've confessed. I'm not asking you any of those questions. I'm asking you this question. If you breathe your last breath right now, today, where would you spend eternity? Because I didn't see that thief on the cross get baptized. I didn't see that centurion get baptized. I didn't see that thief on the cross go and confess. I didn't see that cross, that thief on the cross do any of those things. He died right there. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Religion is not what saves you. It is a relationship with the undefeated one, Jesus Christ. And this morning... If you don't know for sure where you'd spend eternity, I don't care if you're 15 or 85. You have a soul, and the Bible says your soul's going to live forever. We don't get that choice. God never asked us. Well, I don't want to live forever. God didn't ask. He didn't give us a choice if we were going to live forever. He gave us a choice of where we'd spend it. Why would you want to go to hell? Why would you not want to go to heaven? Why would you, why would you reject grace and mercy? Today is the day where you can say, Lord, I know I need a Savior. Would you come into my life? Would you save me? I put my faith in you. I, 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 I trust you, and I want to live forever with you in heaven. How many have never said that? Just put your hand up and put it right back down. I want to pray for you right now. Just put it up. Put it right back down. All over this place. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't know your heart this morning. I don't, know, I don't know what you're going to say to God when you stand before him, but I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus. 
I'm going to plead the cross. I'm going to say Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my faith. Jesus is my answer. He's the only one. I'll never be good enough. Jesus. I'm going to wait just a minute. You're here. Honest. Come on. That's me. Pray for me. I don't want to walk out of this place. Tomorrow's not promised. I, 25 years ago, I had an encounter with God, and, and, and this might not be everybody's case, but with me, that night, I knew if I didn't change my life, I was going to hell. I knew. I, I heard it. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard a voice in my spirit. And God said, if you don't change tonight, that's your destiny. And today, if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't give him your heart, that's your destiny. Because you cannot defeat death by yourself. Jesus did it, but you got to be on his team. That's me, Pastor. Just pray for me. Just put your hand up and put it right back down. That's me. Maybe you're here, and, you're, and at some point in your life you said that prayer. But today you're not living the life that you know you need to be living. You've backslidden. You've gone away. You've gone back to your old ways. Your heart's hard. You're cold. You're angry. You're frustrated. And God says, I want you to come home today, son. I want you to come home today, daughter, just like the prodigal son in the Bible. If that's you, just put your hand up and say, pray for me. I want to come home today. I'm going to get right with God. That's me. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Amen. I've presented you the undefeated one. You're on his team. Amen. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're on his team this morning. Amen. Now we want to do a little celebrating. We want to do a little proclaiming. Maybe you're here. And there's a lot of people here who believe. But you're still facing a, a devil out there. You're still facing a financial problem. You're facing a physical problem. You're facing some depression. You're facing some situations. If that's you, we have what's called an altar here. It's a place of decision. Doesn't mean God can't answer you at your chair. But there's something about going to the altar. Because wherever they set up an altar in the Bible was a place of decision. It was a place of change. And so we're going to sing this song. And as we sing it, we're just going to open the altars for a few moments before we close. And I want to pray over everybody before we leave this morning. So as we begin to sing this song... If you need prayer this morning for anything, just step out of your seat and come down to this altar. And we're just going to take a few moments to lift up the name of the Lord and just declare that all these things are defeated. That these things are under the feet of Jesus Christ. That there's power in His name this morning. As you come, just begin to tell that situation. Just begin to tell that problem. Problem, I'm tired of you in my life. I, def I despise you. I command you to get out of my life. I command you to stop lying to me. I command you to stop deceiving me this morning. And I declare healing over my life. I declare healing over my marriage. I declare healing over my finances this morning.
words are victorious for us. All over this place, just worship Him and thank Him this morning. My chains are gone. My dead is paid. church if a cop had a gun on you you'd lift your hands this is God I surrender you know we want change but we don't want to change we want change but we want to keep doing the same thing we need when you say Lord I, I can't do this on my own he has already been there and he's a healer this morning if you have a physical problem if you have a mental problem, if you have a financial problem, I can't fix it. But Jesus did. He already did. The Bible says he's, he took a, the, the chastisement of our peace upon his body. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And so all I have to do today is say, Lord, I declare that my body's healed right now by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I declare right now, Lord, that my mind is not depressed anymore. I declare right now, God, that you're going to change my financial situation. I, I can't do anything about it. I declare right now, God, you're going to save my marriage. I declare right now, Lord, you're going to change my child, my son, my daughter, my mom, my dad, my family member. Whatever it is you came in with this morning, I'm going to say a simple prayer, and by faith, God is going to heal it right now. And then when we begin to sing that one last time, I want you to begin to say, I, when I see, and that, that make that a statement, when I see that cross, I see freedom. 
because that cross freed me. When I think about that grave, I see Jesus coming out of it, risen and in all of his glory. And I've passed over from death to life. And I'm going to stop seeking dead people for my living counsel. Amen. For the answers I need. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. It is not by might and it is not by power, but it is by your spirit, says the Lord God of hosts. And Lord, nobody in this place right here, right now, is here by accident. They're here because you called them into this place. They're here because you brought them into this place. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you'd heal every depression, heal every body, every tumor, every cancer, every physical ailment, every back, every arthritis, every migraine, every ulcer, every stomach pain, every knee pain. Father, anything that ails anybody in this place, we don't listen to what the doctor says, but we serve the great physician right now, and his name is Jesus. I bind the spirit of depression. I pray for miracle money right now to destroy debt and change situations. Father, I pray for restoration of marriages right now in the name of Jesus. I pray for reconciliation of relationships right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I declare these things as done right now. I declare in the mighty name of Jesus that I am born again and I am set free and I am saved and my name is in the Lamb's book of life this morning and I have crossed over from death to life right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I begin to declare this to you right now in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. It's done in the name of Jesus. Oh, just lift your hands, lift your voices. Lift your voice out, sing it.